I'm Fathery. This is Brian. This is Dave. This is Starfleet Boy, a.k.a. The Tree. And this is Text Trek. Engage. Welcome back aboard the Starship Texas for the 121st installment of the Tex Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we talk all about Star Trek all the time. And tonight we're talking about Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 3, People of Earth, written by Bo-Yeon Kim and Erica LaPolt, and directed by Jonathan Frakes. It's the uh, episode where uh, the people from episode one and the people from episode uh, two get together. Yeah, because one plus two <laughs> equals three, so the, the so math it's... checks out. It's yellow and blue makes green. Maybe that's uh, <laughs> that's the old uh, allegory. But uh, it, it is uh, it does match one of uh, of Star Trek Discovery, uh, just in the sense that uh, yeah, we get everything gelling together in the third episode. Um, and uh and and that's uh, that was exciting for me uh separate kind of from any other judgments about the show uh i just i, I liked seeing uh michael back uh, michael with the crew and all of that stuff dave, dave you always refer to like the third episode of discovery as being when you started liking the show but uh, correct I, I think if like if we go back and check our podcast i think it was actually episode six that did it for episode seven rather well i think those were that was the one that probably sold me on it uh but i think uh that was there was like a there was sort of a conceptual and emotional turning point for me uh when i got to sort of meet the crew and see uh michael interact with them although early on i know it was like a chilly reception except for like uh you know motor mouth tilly and all that stuff (laughs) well even she was uh hostile uh, initially but I, I'm curious to like, go back and check that out and see what our, our old opinions were I wanna, like. I want to meet somebody on the crew who holds a grudge, not the cat, but the, cat? the concept, <laughs> uh, who's like, you still started the Klingon war, Burnham, and, and is just like, uh, just just really hardcore about it. That, that slow-mo scene when uh, the, um, the Discovery crew member says, welcome back, uh, Commander Burnham. I actually got confused and thought there was going to be a weird flashback or something that, you know, like that, that was going to happen in that scene because of the way it just like slow mode all of a sudden. But I guess. That's, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I something's what, happening. They're no, going into bullet to, time. <laughs> just the, uh, the, the stylistic choices we can, uh, we can expect from this show. But I'll, <laughs> I'll start things off by running through a quick summary of the episode. I'm just going to read the uh, official synopsis from memory alpha and then, will kind of expand on that with spoilers to recap everything. The synopsis reads, Reunited with Burnham, Discovery heads to Earth to find out what has happened to the Federation in the last thousand years. 
And just to expand on that with spoilers, uh, yeah, the episode is uh, the people of Earth, and the people of Earth are dicks. They're kind of just the, these isolationists that uh, don't want to, uh, they don't want to see you, they don't want to talk to you, they just want to stay on Earth, and you stay off of Earth. And uh, when Discovery comes by, there's uh, a little bit of uh, hostility, um, and they're also fighting off these raiders who want dilithium from Earth. And uh, at the end, Sabru teaches everyone to just get along, like like you know, like Rodney King. Um, <laughs> I remember when he taught us that, and everything was okay after. Yeah, yeah we just all got along. Uh, that's how it works, apparently. Uh, not... I'm glad you said that they're dicks because I feel the same exact way. <laughs> you know, when we maybe when we get to them, I I I was trying to remember uh, because this is another one I was only able to watch once before the podcast. Um, what particularly triggered their isolationism? Whether it was just I know they were were they they were cut off from the Federation had a high supply of dilithium. Is that the real short version? Um, they don't really talk about how much dilithium they they have, but it, yeah, it just it sounded like that without warp travel, without the typical resources that you you know come to expect in the the future of Star Trek, they they figured out how to be self sustaining, and so they they basically. Uh, we're like, we're going to put up a wall and make the Tellarites pay for it. And, uh, just, uh, we're going to mind our own business and, and there, you don't, yeah. uh, you don't mess with us. We don't mess with you. You know, I'll there, say this, uh, like I have obviously more thoughts and we'll get to it when we get to those scenes, but, um, I am glad that they didn't, uh, push the metaphor too hard. Isolationism is a very, uh, is common to all nations of, of all planets and worlds and, uh, is, is not necessarily a this is a commentary thing. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of trendy in 2020, I guess. There, uh, there was the, there was the strong implication that like after the burn, a lot of folks started attacking earth. So earth had to like, be like, yo federation, uh, you're too much trouble. Go somewhere else. I don't know if it was a strong implication, but <laughs> yeah, well, they, they, it stands to, I mean, obviously we're project, projecting 700 years in or. 600 years in the future from the Starfleet we and the Federation we know in, say, Picard. But it stands to reason that the shi- all those shipyards at Earth, San Francisco and McKinley and maybe some others that I don't Not know. Not Mars, because that one's on fire. But. Well, yeah, <laughs> they might have rebuilt by then. Forever. Oh, yeah, they, they might have they rebu- the fire by then. Yeah, hopefully <laughs> 600 years. They it's like one of those mines that won't stop burning. We just yeah, yeah. Happened, it out. What happened to um, the anyway, solar system? Uh, this- there would have been all these shipyards, and there would have been stockpi- huge stockpiles of dilithium for all those shipyards. And McKinley and San Francisco are just the two that we know about in the 24th century that build Starfleet ships. There's probably a bunch of civilian shipyards as well. So, so you think big, that's, to, that's a big target on them? As a big manufa- ship manufacturing center, they probably had a lot of dilithium stockpiled there. Mm. Um, and you're uh, making me they... so nostalgic for the Starfleet and Federation of Old, Brian. I'm like, oh, those wonderful places, they're all like gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you'd go to your d- shelf and take the DVD off the shelf, <laughs> um, well, let's just each give our opening statement and kind of express our broad opinions and feelings and reaction to this episode. Um, I'll go ahead and go first, but. Uh, this episode was a bit of a bipolar experience for me, um, and I think it actually might make me a little less optimistic about this third season and some of the uh, changes, or you might even say improvements to the show, but 
Uh, I, I'm not saying it's a bad episode, but there there were some frustrations that I have with Discovery Season 1 and Season 2 that were kind of brought back up to the surface in this episode. Uh, one, of, one of the big problems I've had with the show uh, from early on is uh, unearned endearment is what the, the YouTuber EC Henry called it. And I'll, have a, I'll post a link in the description, but he has like a really cool video covering this from a a pretty smart uh, angle, really good analysis, I think. But yeah, basically, the, the show loves to have like these big emotional moments with like these these long speeches and the music swells and it's all very showy and, and ceremonious. Uh, but it it often feels just unearned and forced and inorganic. And I I like a lot of like the the world building stuff that they're expanding on in this third season and in this episode. Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed that and. I kind of do go back and forth on the depiction of these future humans, though, if I like what they're doing with Earth or not. Uh, maybe through this conversation, I'll figure out where I land on that. But the, the storytelling priorities seem kind of strange to me with, with the show. Like, what what I was used to in the first two seasons on, on occasion, where they, they prioritize the big drama moments, the big actionable scenes that they want to pull off, and they... The little lines that connect those dots, it, it, the the writing there isn't as strong as I would as I would like it to be. Uh, so it, it's kind of a, a frustrating experience to see that that is continuing now while all these other things are changing uh, with the show. But on a positive note, I did really enjoy the idea. I thought this was was really clever. The idea of introducing Earth as a planet of the week type of traditional Star Trek story. Like, oh, we're going to go to this planet, and look, these people are having a problem here, and we're going to explore that. And We're going to find some backwards aliens. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to yeah, show yeah. them Earth how to became, think right. Earth became the backwards aliens of a planet of the yeah. week Star Trek episode. So I And for that. once, the alien menace that was coming to destroy Earth was pretty easy and kind of frumpy and, and lame and not some overpowering <laughs> whale probe or something. And our heroes were able to save Earth fairly quickly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's not exactly a bad episode. I just have, like, some problems with some of, like, the that, that clunky and awkward stuff that, that frustrates me on the show. But, oh, wait a minute, I'm forgetting something. Oh, yeah, they had, like, those Dot 7 repair droids in this episode. So, yeah, fuck this episode. I hate it. <laughs> You're just looking for that one thing. Uh, see, that that earned it like a whole half point on a scale of one to ten just because it, it was going to upset you. It was <laughs> like, oh, look at those little robots. Father, he's going to hate those. <laughs> well, well, Brian, tell me what else you uh, you thought about this episode and give us, uh, give us your opening statement. I guess um, my, my biggest thought about this is Star Trek does Brexit because this is clearly that's that, that more than the America America. This is this is a uh, uh, great the United Kingdom breaking off from the European Union because it's perfectly self-sufficient. and It doesn't need their help. Um, so that was that was definitely the overriding metaphor for me. And as somebody who is deeply attached to a lot of British uh, media, um, I felt a similar sense of disorienting disappointment in the same way that some of our heroes, I think, did in this episode. So is it is it called Feder Exit? <laughs> <laughs> what what was it that you you found uh, disorienting? Uh, just the fact you you I I ended up I, for a lot of years I have thought of. The United Kingdom as a better place than the United States, and they make Doctor Who there, which is very close to my heart, and and it always seemed like a wonderful, wonderful uh, grass is always greener place that I always wanted to mm. visit. And then Brexit happened, and I was like, ah, they got the same shit over there that we do. Yeah, um, 
And they're here. They're like, oh, we're going back to Earth. Starfleet HQ will finally be able to report in. And they get there and it's. They found Brexit, too. Yeah. 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 They're there. You know. Um, And uh, the other point. I don't know. I loved the, 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 the character emotional drama stuff in this episode. Uh, maybe the action rock'em sock'em clever plan to out with the aliens was a little eh, but, uh, I, I, the, 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 the emotional beats more than made up for all of that. Uh, you know, and Brian, the, the, I know the interaction, the character interaction. I loved that too. Uh, yeah. I know that we're both, uh, RPG guys, Brian, and uh, the uh, the plan that they came up with to deal with uh, was his win is his name I think yeah um, was uh, was felt a little bit like something players might cobble together in haste <laughs> yeah um, uh, but uh, anyway I'm, I'm sorry I didn't, didn't mean to interrupt yeah, continue uh, no I mean it was a, I, I I could see the mechanics of it but I didn't feel like they quite showed it to us clearly enough for me to feel like I'd I, I, I to to enjoy it I kind of wanted to see a bit more of it <laughs> instead of simply okay we're gonna do the plan next scene look we got the guy and I was like I wanted to see that <laughs> so yeah that's one of the things the show doesn't prioritize is uh clarity <laughs> yeah but I I guess I appreciated the emphasis on character building and and social commentary and emotional beats over look we have a cool action sequence um so i did appreciate that if they're going to err on the side of too much uh, uh, of underdoing something i guess i prefer they underdo the action over the other stuff um so yeah i this is the my favorite of the i i thought the my favorite of the first three episodes of this season and one of probably one of my the better episodes of discovery overall again i feel like you say it's not very clear to me. This feels much smoother and less mystery, less mystery boxy than seasons one and two of discovery. I still feel like I have a much better idea where I am and what direction I'm supposed to be looking at and what I'm supposed to be focused on in these stories. Um, and, and less uncertainty about, about where there could be a sudden trap door and this, something you know turns into something that i wasn't expecting and some of that's fine but i just discovery set up a lot of that uncertainty and didn't necessarily pay it all off sometimes it turned out that a cigar was just a cigar uh and but they did so much of it i got a little tired of it so season three yay okay dave uh what about you um you know uh i i guess the uh, as far as mystery box stuff goes the burn is the big one and i still think it's a I still think it's a dumb, dumb plot point. <laughs> uh, what would you have preferred? What would you have preferred? I think, uh, I think that it just, uh, I, actually, uh, I think it's such an illogical thing that if the characters had reacted to it as if you would, you know, like just jaw dropping, oh, what could have that level of power? The Borg could not muster that level of power. Nobody could affect anything multidimensional like that. A Q could maybe do that. Are there renegade cues? Like, you know, I, I think it would be so mind-bogglingly strange. It'd be like, you know, if all the water in the world turned into poison right now, like, you'd be like, oh, is there a god? Is there, what's what's happening? I think that I needed to see that level of astonishment uh, and, and to, understand, to, to have some sense that the predecessors who've, who actually lived through the burn, that it just like, it would, I think it would have shocked things even more than it did, to be honest. Um I, I mean, it's I guess been like, idea, what, 120 years? So. 120, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, we're still fighting the Civil War here. Um, 
the, the, there's uh, still people talking about it here. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and again, uh, this this could be this criticism might slip away a little bit if they <laughs> if they have a great explanation for it. I just have this feeling it's going to be kind of something dopey um, that it's going to sound like it's going to be like red matter or something. Anyway. Um, uh, that said, uh, I, I was really just more keying off your mystery box thing there, Brian, because I actually agree with you overall on this episode. Uh, it is my favorite of the season three ones so far. And while I do agree with Fathery, generally speaking, about Discovery's use of uh, unearned emotional beats, uh, like like with Arium and stuff, um, I actually did feel these, and that's what that got it off onto a good foot with me. I felt like, well, the characters have spent you know two seasons uh, together. And have just gone through some rough, some very rough times. So uh, whether it's a year apart for Burnham or not, uh, for the rest of the crew, I, I bought into and I felt the feels uh, when when they were uh, reuniting, and especially when Burnham uh, sort of sat back and said, "It's you as captain, and it's always been you." Uh, loved that. Uh, it's kind of what I wanted to see, and I wasn't sure if they were going to do it or if they were going to drag that out through the whole season. A Oh, who's going to be in command? Oh, they each have qualities, but, like, only one of them has really been doing that level of leadership, and it's Saru, and so I, I really like that they did that. Um, and I, uh, frankly, like a slightly pat episode of the week kind of vibe to it uh, that the episode had. I, I There was bits and pieces here and there. I'm still not loving... Um, uh, uh, Giorgio as the just little snark officer <laughs> for the ship, uh, but... But overall, I liked the uh, the mission to Earth, and um, but for some bits and pieces in there, I was pretty emotionally satisfied with the episode. I wish that I was finding that the plots, uh, you know, plot points were as satisfying as some of the emotional beats were to me in this one. Uh, but um, yeah, overall, I was actually pretty happy with this episode. I guess going back to to your dilithium thing, yeah. I. I've always seen Dilithium as some, I mean, I, I guess I read in the not Star Trek novels, which I know aren't canon, back when I was a kid, that Dilithium was a four-dimensional mineral that extended into the fourth dimension and oh, resonated with the fabric of the universe. And that's why I, I was that able stuff. to suspend yeah. antimatter. So that was why I was able to suspend both matter and antimatter and integrate it safely together and that it had subspace signatures and all of this. So it's always been this such an exotic material that the idea that you could put out some sort of subspace techno oh there we go some subspace techno babble pulse that would just resonate every crystal and cause it to 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 glitch somehow doesn't seem all that impossible to me it's certainly way more plausible than what happened in the romulan star empire with the sun star exploding yeah dave really hated that too though yeah (laughs) it took him a long time to get over that one well you know there's a um I forget if this is a Carl Sagan quote uh, yeah. or one of the other skeptics of the world that the extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. So I'm waiting on my extraordinary proof on this one, which yeah. I need to yeah. hear some some really good techno babble yeah. about how they did it. And like, if this was even vaguely possible, like people could have laid low vast empires, like whole star empires, yeah. by doing it. So it has to be something that would be like really hard to do. Well, can, I throw, well, yeah, can I throw I, something out? Can I throw something out? Sure, there? go for it. Doesn't quartz have like some kind of natural like vibration that is so accurate that we use it to like uh, like uh, keep time, or we used to use it to keep time yeah. in some way? Like, so if that's the case, like you could probably, if you wanted to do it like 
if you had some kind of technology like a you know like a um uh, a shinzon type of mentality could could develop the resonant harmonic frequency that would shatter all dilithium I, across like I a think, certain I think like, I get range what or something the, like that. The issue that Dave is having, and I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about this because yeah. we've, we've already covered yeah. it in, in past conversations, but I think the problem that Dave is having is the same problem I have. It's just the, 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 the scale at which this take took place. You know, I could definitely see some type of Star Trek science fiction type explanation of like, Oh yeah, they were able to like bombard the sector of space with some type of like radiation that like affected dilithium crystals or something. But like the idea of it having virtually like no limitation had happened everywhere, like throughout like an entire galaxy, not just like, Oh, it like it happened like in this one star system or something like that. Just the idea of like the scale of it is, it's kind of disproportional with how we've It's not generally what Star Trek does right yeah it doesn't do things on like like thanos snapping a magic glove to like affect the whole universe i mean there are real life cosmic phenomenon that can affect an entire galaxy now nothing can go faster than the speed of light so it can't affect the entire galaxy faster than the speed of light but there are stuff that will do that unless Uh, it's so uh, unless it's in the fourth dimension uh but (laughs) but i just want to say like because i i have to give my opening statement i guess but like i just want to say that but um, to that, I think we just haven't met the expert yet. Like we've been meeting a lot of people that have like stories about the burn and we haven't really actually met the person or the database or whatever where the crew and us can get like the full deal about yeah. it. So everything so far has been just been, like, you know, like uh, from like people's perspectives and like tales about the burn. So I think yeah. you guys are right, but like we don't really know. And neither yeah, do I know that we all have we all have a lot of burning questions, but I'm just going <laughs> to ask that going that going forward we we don't talk about the burn until we have like some new information. Well, to, like, I have, add I have to one it. one <laughs> sentence. I appreciate the cleverness of disabling the dilithium rather than a giant wave of explosives that just blow up whatever <laughs> the script writers want it to blow up. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, I think we could all agree. Like, they, there's certainly stupider stuff they could have done. All right, so uh, on to uh, Starfleet Boy. Yes, yes. Uh, Starfleet Boy, give us... You must answer now. <laughs> you can give us your opening statement. Yeah, well. I, I actually, like, I'm a... Ho- as, I guess as usual, I'm a hodgepodge of everyone's opinion mm-hmm. here. Uh, because when I first watched it, I was really kind of, like, taken aback and offended at the standing of Earth and, like, the position of Earth. Like, it just didn't... Like, like on a very personal level, I was just like, no, Earth is part of the heart. The you know, Earth, Vulcan, like Andor and and Tellar would never, you know, uh, disband. But realistically, those things can happen. I mean, we see it happening in our world, as you pointed out, Brexit and like things like that can happen. So, my first watching, I was just kind of like taken aback by that. But I've watched it a few times, and this episode actually gets more interesting and delightful the more i've watched it like you catch these little new new little bits or like new threads and things like that and it for me overall that worked i don't think that it's it's great for a show to be a show that you have to watch five or six times to really Mm. get like the handle i think you should be able to watch it once and then maybe get enticed to watch it another time and and still walk away with like a lot of value and i think season three of discovery is doing that a lot better than the previous season's have i'm just becoming a freak about it and watching it like four or five or six times because i want to see all the details and (laughs) minutiae and so yeah that's i guess that's all i gotta say and so this episode was like pretty much on par with episode one for me so i liked one two and this one the same as one 
Okay. Cool. Well, uh, with that being said, we'll go ahead and delve into the the episode and kind of like bust it down beat by beat. Talk about like every uh, every major scene, every major plot point, and uh, people watching us on a video format, you can uh, follow along with our visuals that, that we'll have. Uh, let's start at the top with the the opening with uh, Michael Burnham. We kind of pick up where episode one ended. Uh, she is. Uh, alone in the future, she is leaving this uh, this officer's log with this ridiculous uh, star date. Uh, Brian, I, I figured you got a, a kick. Oh yes. The, oh no, no, uh, I have big ass star date. Big ass star date. It says in my notes. I yeah, eight six five two one one point three. I missed it the first time through and didn't have time the second time, but I really run it, <laughs> want to run it into one of those generators so I can figure out exactly what day of the week, month it is. <laughs> yeah, we got a we got a future star date, and then we got this. Uh, cool visual graphic of all these nice happy future starfleet ships and then boom the burn happens yeah. and they all explode even though none of them are at warp and <laughs> but their warp cores are active you see we, we've seen in well, star trek that they don't almost never switch those things off boat and i think this is poetic that looks like old video games like when i was playing galaga and i would just tear it up yeah, it's like it all the like. same explosion on like every one of them. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I I thought that did a much better job of getting across the horror of what would that would yeah. be like than the, the impact. Books kind, yeah, books kind of makes a comment about oh, and then all the dilithium stopped, and I said that would mean all the starships would explode, and you're like, I don't know if that's what they mean, and then we want, yeah, that's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what they what meant. They mean. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd like to I'd like to postulate that that shot was a casualty of uh COVID-19 I bet they had like a montage or something more planned like or maybe like uh newsreel footage from the Federation News Network of like you know ships exploding randomly here and there and stuff like that but I I think that COVID-19 had to like make them do like a poetic shot I don't of know static, because the special ship. effects the special effects have been better in season three this is the this is the best no, they're, the show's they're ever high looked. quality but i'm just saying like maybe they like, didn't have like, time like to, the like, cgi has been incredible dynamic shots of like yeah i yeah, think i, I would have that. liked those if there were any sort of plan like that i think i would have liked to have seen some of those dynamic shots but they did uh convey the idea uh yeah. pretty you know pretty briskly yeah, it was that, efficient it was yeah. efficient. Didn't didn't take up much screen time. We get the point. It reminds us of what they've established in the other two episodes, and we learn that that Burnham has been working as a courier, like Book, and she's determined to to fix this future. And we get the the hair growing montage, which I thought had had a cool idea. I don't know if this came from director Jonathan Frakes, but when we see this montage of her of her hair growing as she's waiting this year, you uh, trying to contact the Discovery. Uh, we see on her face this extremely expressive Sonequa Martin-Green face that I talk about a lot. She gets more and more comfortable in in this future world. Like at first, she looks, uh, you know, like she's she's uh, out of it. She's unhappy. She's distressed, and then she looks like a, a little cold and just kind of uh, stoic. And and then finally, we just see her looking like very comfortable. And yeah. she she talks about she's she's developed this friendship with book. Apparently, they're just yeah. friends. Uh, so, That's uh, a, I, do they have a whole year because of sexual tension? I guess, yeah. It's uh, I don't know how they restrained themselves. Pretty uh, intense. It might have even been a. I mean, I don't know if that's what they're going to reveal, but perhaps there was a romantic relationship that then didn't work 
the way they wanted and they broke it off, but still stayed friends or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I did wonder about that same thought and I guess we'll find out more. Yeah. The, yeah. I think there's supposed to be become. some surprise reveals about what happened in that year. Michael's hinting strongly at that. They're also hinting. Yeah. We're questing to find out what happened, what, what caused the burn. So we will get an answer to that. I think I, I don't, they're not just going to say it was a story mo- thing like the Romulan star blowing up where they never explain why That's, it happened. Whenever, whenever, Whenever we finally see that hope is you part two, it'll explain that whenever that Um, episode exists. I guess I will go. I I just, the fact that the Federation was running out of dilithium and then the dilithium that they had did have all stopped working. That seems like a bit of a coincidence, which tends to rule out a natural phenomenon for this in my mind. It depends on how much thought they put into it. (laughs) Yeah, it, it is like, why introduce that element if it's not going to have some influence on the story? Like, you know, why bother to say we were also running out of dilithium? I assume yeah. someone was right. trying to study ways to prolong its use or make it, yeah, make it last longer when this horrible accident happened or a bad person discovered this or that, uh, you know, something like that, maybe. Well, Burnham, after she's confessed in her officer's log that she's uh she's learned to like let go hope of the discovery like she's kind of accepted she's never going to see those people again and then she gets like the the call on the communicator and i'm sure brian is happy that she's actually like holding it like kirk style like straight up <laughs> yeah, it took her a year but she figured it out <laughs> but yeah she she gets the call that the, it's the probably jonathan here. frakes jonathan frakes despite he told using her to the do badges it. Probably knows enough Trek to put her straight on. Uh, he doesn't know about TOS era com badges or communicators. I, 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 I bet he's watched the thing. I, I'm sure he hasn't watched She's all. She's gonna of have them, the communicator I... attached to her shirt and be yeah. like whapping it. <laughs> all right. Well, somebody clearly set her straight, so. <laughs> or she set herself straight. Did some research, but we get like the the big uh, reunification of of. Burnham back to the Discovery crew and she hugs everyone. I like love for, the hugging. I love the hugging. Yeah, Except for Georgie. That. She doesn't Georgie doesn't hug. But they No, they, but that was also awesome because yes. of she just has to nod and Giorgio doesn't even have to nod back. She can just you just see it in her eyes. Alright, I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you're back. And the, <laughs> did they did I was trying to remember, did they actually get any moment to themselves in the episode? I was thinking yeah. they didn't. Yeah, they, oh, they did they? when yeah. she's when she's like we'll we'll talk about it when we get to it. Okay, cool. Um it's one of these these corridor walk and talk moments. Like we get with, with Burnham and, and Saru and they, they catch up, so it was good to see them on screen together. Uh Saru has like this interesting line where he says, uh Kelpians have always had a deep understanding mm-hmm. of fear and loss. Perhaps that prepared me for this. Well, more than that, Saru has already given up his entire life and family once before. When right. he left Kelpia. <laughs> this is his Good second point. time of jettisoning yeah. everything. This is routine for him. He's starting to like it. <laughs> and, and Giorgio is on the ship both times. So. <laughs> and uh, he's he's surprised to see... Uh, I like that they threw in, like, he's kind of, like, surprised and almost, like, borderline offended. Like, Burnham's uh, working as a courier. Because he's like, courier, like, that's, like, a psychopath that I, I was just uh, dealing with. Like, this afternoon was a courier. <laughs> um... <laughs> and they also they also mention uh Terralisium and how um so this this establishes that they like when they got to the future they didn't end up anywhere close to to Terralisium. Uh, yeah. and and mama burnham is still out there 
Uh, she said that, that they hadn't even heard of her mom. So we know that My- Michael Burnham's mom, who went back into the future, we have no idea where she is. So she could show up maybe later this season, maybe in a future season. So that's uh, that's another thing that's still in play. That hope is your part two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's when we'll see it. Uh, and- <laughs> Is is it the guy? Is is it the guy who was Gene? Has met Gene from the last episode, or is it a different guy who calls Michael Burnham Commander? I don't know. I think it's a different person. Okay, so this is a different person. But like when she's called Commander, she has like this weird reaction where uh, Starfleet Boy talked about like it was weird that she went into slow mo. But it's like yeah, like this is the first time anyone's called her Commander in a year, and yeah, it, it kind of. It's this indication of, like, maybe she's not going to be able to fit back in, or maybe she won't be able to just, like, readjust to life back aboard a, a Starfleet ship. I see that in the comments. Stress-Free K was talking about the uh, how pleasant all the hugging was and that maybe social distancing uh, is getting to them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah like, like, watching people, watching people hug is like porn these days. <laughs> Don't make it tawdry, fathery. It was a sweet <laughs> sentiment until you got a hold of it. <laughs> but uh michael burnham basically explains the burn to everyone and that's when uh she, the, like the whole crew is on the bridge and they kind of get like the the they're caught up to what what burnham has learned in this uh this year in the future can we call a later moment the burnham burn the burnham burn <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i'll tell i'll tell you sick I burnham I, I did like um i'd like stamets reaction where he was like, uh, like that's impossible. He can't make like all the dilithium blow up. And then Giorgio is just like, says a man who jumps a starship through mushroom space. And actually almost <laughs> destroyed the multiverse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's some huge thing going on right there that Discovery almost accidentally did. So. It would be funny uh, if they're like, oh, yeah, that was actually what caused it. Uh, yeah. You, you caused the burn, by the way. See, yeah. Thanks. I, 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 me and Holly, my wife, are leaning towards the idea that Spore Drive is going to be what kind of fixes it in that we will provide a new drive that people can use. The MyLithium yep. Spore Drive. The MyLithium Drive. It'll be Mycelium and, and Dilithium Crystal Hybrid Drive. <laughs> well, I know, they, so they, hybrid, you just yeah, don't need dilithium. The hybrid vehicles. Yeah, you know, they, they have, don't need Dilithium. <laughs> they have yeah. personal transporters uh, that can take them anywhere instantly. A person, now they can do it with a ship, too. Yeah. Well, Burnham also uh, gives some new information to us, the audience, when she plays them that audio clip from from 12 years earlier. Uh, there is a message from Earth from an Admiral Sina Tall, who, who said he's waiting on Earth for anyone who still believes in the Federation or Starfleet. You know, come to Earth, come join up with us. I know I've seen a lot of zombie movies. You got to watch out when you get that come here for safety call. <laughs> Especially if it's out, if it's already expired, <laughs> it's past its expiration date. Well, the warp travel is so restricted; she hasn't been able to make it to Earth. But now, you know, she's on a ship with a spore drive, so they can finally go there. So they establish this mission to go to Earth, and they decide they're gonna have to like sneak up on Earth and lie about uh, what what they're up to, and, and say that oh, we're just like an old uh, generational ship that that. Uh, has been just slowly uh, working our way back to Earth at sublight speed. And I, I wish that they had had, like, a conversation here about, like, should we do that? Should we, like, lie about this? And Because I, I think it is justifiable that they would be, you know, deceitful. They don't know the situation on Earth. They want to be kind of cautious. But I wish that they would have, like, a little bit of a conversation where they kind of, like, weigh the morality of if they should do that or not. Yeah, I miss, I miss those sort of scenes, but Disco yeah. doesn't do them. 
But I would rather have that than like five minutes of Saru being like given like his his speech about like thank you for for nominating me as captain and I I'm I'm so grateful for this and everyone's like yes Saru you deserve it you've truly proven yourself and on all of this this forced ceremony that we get I would rather have like a conversation about like oh what's the morality of, of lying when we arrive at Earth I think that well, would have been I mean, better a becoming time. a captain is kind of a big deal in Star Trek it's just that's a trope. Um, and B, we do see that the lying doesn't actually work out well for them. It would have been nice at the end to have a line where they say, yeah, that was the wrong call. I would, I would agree that at the end there should have been a play, a, a quick line about, yeah, we shouldn't have done that. It just made things worse. But, uh, but I, they, the, the, the morality play of the, we tell a lie and it doesn't work out for us is actually in the episode. So. I just think it would have been better to like, uh, you shine want a, you some want, spotlight onto that. You want a ready room conversation. Yes, and and I think they that gotta been... fix their table, man. Their table's still broken. Yeah, you I know. can't have they... that stuff till they get the table fixed. Well, they need it fixed. <laughs> damn it. They they also should have done like the Burnham and Saru thing about like discussing his command. I think that would have been better as like a private conversation. But uh, you know, regardless, my my issue with it is that it just felt more like show than tell. Where like they're talking about like. Uh, Saru, like, you've done all these great things leading the ship, and it's like, has he? Like, he hasn't been in command that long. Like, yeah, he's been in, I did think bit. he's been in command for about one day, but did, I do yeah. think that he has done a very good job as a executive officer on the ship since season one, and I... They're think, all remembering uh, his good work in, uh, in the Mirror Universe, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, he definitely, true. that's when he, like, he really shined then. I, I kind of wish yeah. they would have, like, gone through, like, a checklist of, like, you, you let us back from the mirror universe. You were, yeah. you were there all that through, too. like, more yeah, if you're accusing, if you're accusing the scene of being dramatic already that she didn't take him aside and stuff, like, I guess go full, ha- go full Burnham, right? Like, I, I don't know, like. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me. <laughs> She get I I she gets on the ship and she realizes that she's changed. Maybe she whether she had an interest in being a captain before she doesn't now. She doesn't even trust herself to be a captain. It's there, there's no question in her mind that the best person on this ship to be in charge is Saru. So she doesn't need to go in a bunch of lists. She just says, "I'm you know basically I'm not doing it. You should do it." What's Saru's got? You know, it's not like there's somebody else in the running. So. Yeah, I mean, he's she's basically just stepping, you know, stepping out of the competition and saying he's the best one, and she firmly believes that, especially given whatever happened in the year. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if she'd been if she hadn't lost a year, I would expect her to be a little more. Here's a list of reasons why you should have the job, but but I I can accept that whatever she faced and did in that year makes her feel that she's not qualified and maybe doesn't even want it, that position. So yeah, well, she does. She- she does say that I don't know if it's ever been me, if she was ever like the one who wanted to be captain. Uh, the the first episode of the show back uh, the Vulcan hello, like she was yeah. pretty ecstatic there when Georgia said she was going to recommend her for her own command. But uh, she's done a lot of growing since then. That was like thirty episodes ago. I liked Saru's mission statement though when he does take the captain's chair about like okay we're here in the future and we're gonna make it a bright future so let's get to work let's begin on that I li- I liked that uh, kind of uh, mission statement that was that was some good leadership I like Captain Saru I liked him last week I like him this week it's very unique we've he he's a very alien Star Trek alien 
You know, yeah. he's not like like Dax just has like some weird neck tattoos and a bunch of life experience, but other than that, yeah. she's kind of a human chick. Like, no, like yeah. this guy is is he he's he's a creature from another world. Yeah. Uh, that's and clear in hit, like everything. It we, did hit me. Yeah, we we we've done the the white male ca- uh, human captain, the the black male human captain. We have done the uh, fe- uh, uh, female captain. Um, we have never done an alien captain as the lead, as as, as one of the leads. The, the lead ship has never had an alien captain as the a regular thing in Star Trek. So this is actually kind of nice that they are coming up with a a new captain permutation that we have not previously all seen. All those uh, t-shirts with uh, all the captain's faces on them are now going to probably start including Saru. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Burnham and Tilly uh, catch up uh, for a little bit. They have a, a little conversation um, where... Tilly kind of, like, calls attention to the fact that, you know, she can tell in Burnham, like, you let us go, didn't you? I believe is what she says to her. Like, like she could she could tell, like, that, that Burnham had kind of, like, become, like, detached from the idea of, like, serving on this ship. And she kind of has, like, this weird, kind of, like, weird writerly thing, she says, where she's like, I pictured you, like, blowing on a dandelion and all, like, the seeds spreading off and, like, like you were, like, letting us all go. Like, that's a weird thing to imagine about someone who, from your perspective, you just saw her, like, three days ago. Like, like, it's... Yeah, you're you're right, Father. It is a very writerly line, you know, the kind of (laughs) sort of poetic dialogue that people rarely actually say. Yeah. I I liked it. I, I like dandelion metaphors. Um, and, uh, this was my favorite scene, this, uh, of the episode. I, I really? loved this scene. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, that's just, she, the idea that she can look at Michael and say, you gave up on us, but not say it in a accusatory, a judging yeah, way, great. but, but just a kind yeah. of a, you know. You understandably moved on. Yes. And, and right. she, it's kind more of, a mature, of almost a forgiving way. It's a mature yeah. sort of sentiment. And, and then Michael realizing Kind of accepting, yeah, I, I did give up on you, and that makes me feel really bad because you did come back, and and I love the sentiment. It's making me tear up right now. Uh, I I love that moment. Uh, and I like that they acknowledge that Burnham has changed, and and kind of for the better, where she says like you seem lighter now, like you don't have like all this yeah. guilt or you know whatever like weighing you down, and and I also I also like I took that, that she... as a statement about the whole show, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're acknowledging the entire show has changed a little bit. The entire show is lighter now, yeah. and also like she she compliments her hair because her hair has changed so much and it's like oh that is like not to like generalize genders or anything but i like that's something i wouldn't have thought of to add in there if i was writing this episode but it does feel like very realistic like these these two uh these these two very feminine friends would like comment on uh if one of them like changes their look like that it's like oh cool there's a like, general I'm... tendency for for women to be nice and supportive yes. of things like that and then and they they caught it nicely, I think. That's why it's good to have, like, women in the writer's room. Because, like, the two women who wrote this obviously thought about that where I don't think I would have. And then Book comes on board the Discovery. And I kind of liked the scene between him and, and Giorgio yes, where great. it's kind of like the mom, like, inspecting the, the boyfriend. This guy <laughs> that her daughter has been hanging around. And, and Book kind of confirms here that, like, he's like, no, like, we're not... We never like they 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 cut off the sentences, but I I think it's supposed to uh, communicate to us that they've 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 never coupled up. They've they've never done that. It sounded like that for sure. Yeah, I did like that. By the way, he 
he seemed a little not, he didn't seem too intimidated by Georgia, which yeah. I appreciated. <laughs> yeah, I, I, no, he's... I, Burnham would have totally prepped him with that too. It, it shows that they have a strong friendship because Burnham would have been like, "You're gonna meet this person, Giorgio. Don't like be intimidated oh. by her." You <laughs> yeah. know, like, all that kind of I, stuff. I think like, it went beyond that. I think he's, she's been telling him stories over yeah. the years of this was who my crew was. The here my friends and and frenemies were on the. <laughs> yeah, he, he knew who she was. He yeah, knew who she was. Uh, probably better than Pike ever did. <laughs> <laughs> You're not Detmer. You're not Tilly. Yeah. <laughs> There's only one possibility left. Uh, now I now I want a version where he thinks she, he keeps call. He thinks she's Tilly and and is, gets it all wrong. That'd be hilarious. Just, I don't think just that's to good wind for her Brooke, up, but it would be a fun yeah. scene. Yeah, he should do it just to wind her up. <laughs> um, and Discovery has a shitload of dilithium, mm-hmm. like a um, much more dilithium than I. I thought like a ship would have. I know that like they're they're a science ship, so maybe they have like experimental dilithium or something they have I, I yeah i was curious do you got what are your guys's theory as to why this ship has so uh, so much more dilithium than than say a constitution class well, like, or, the special yeah. effects guys thought it'd be cool to animate this big dilithium room that, well no the scripts the have repeatedly referred to the fact that they have a stockpile of dilithium so it's it's part of the right something that came out of the writer's room um, I, I, I think that more than anything, it's, it was to do that visual there, <laughs> but, but I think they wanted to, sh- to allow that the ship would be self-sufficient, at least for a time in this future, that they wouldn't yeah. have to immediately find a gas station. And they have currency. They can, they can trade with it. Right. It puts them at a, like, even though they're technologically regressive, it yeah. gives them a little bit of, um, uh, agency in, in this future. And I, I think that's a... That's a good story place to be. So I think it's it probably yeah. came out of storytelling. Well, no, no, that that's why the writers did it. But why did Starfleet do it? Like what? Uh, what? What reasoning are they gonna like use in the books and stuff? I don't. I don't know. Yeah, like when someone tries to explain this, whenever uh, like the. I have a theory, but I wanted to hear other people's. So, so well, uh, Starfleet I have a, boy, I have a question. Yeah, I have a question, which is, have we ever seen? dilithium storage on star trek before this well the kirk's enterprise gets its dilithium stolen or uh, a couple of times or blow burn out and it's immediately like oh my god we have no spares we have to get that dilithium crystal back yeah. or find some new dilithium or we're all screwed oh, and, gotcha. and, and it's not that much they show how much crystal gets lost and it's not like you know a whole shelf full that's what um, i was wondering is like is there a is there a set standard in star trek for how much dilithium you go through or is that like what we're seeing really just like you know six months supply or something well the original series they don't have like oh we'll break out next month's crystal and stick it in there so we don't all die today that's not an option for them uh and then on the bird of prey when the dilithium starts to crystallizing and immediately it's a klingon ship and it's a small scout but the whole point of scouting is you're gonna go out far away from your base to explore bad guys or good guys or whatever so that you would expect that if status backup dilithium was a thing they would have it on the bird of prey as well uh but my theory is that this is a ship that's testing a spore drive and could accidentally end up in the delta quadrant so we want to make sure they have enough dilithium to get home if they have to do a 70 year mission to get home that's a fantastic theory i like that. yeah that's that's pretty good that's uh that's nice and clean yeah. and they yeah. should they should uh work that into the in the dialogues that- uh yeah. If they like if that. they ever worried about that at all, I imagine they might, but they never worry about that at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I suspect it's more likely to turn up in a novel, but <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah or just if someone fantastic. is like yeah. if someone's like, Man, your ship has a lot of dilithium. Just go yeah. like, 
Yeah, we were always yep. worried the spore drive might break down far from home, so it was just to make sure we'd get back. Like, it takes like four seconds to, yeah. to say that. Uh, but Book gets his payment. He gets this uh, dilithium canister from from Michael for you know doing his end of the of the of the deal and getting her back to her ship. It took him a year, but he did it. <laughs> and uh, Saru and Burnham uh, kind of have this conversation in the ready room. They they do talk about how uh, Saru taking the the captaincy, how Burnham uh, decided that that she doesn't want it, and and Saru is surprised by that, and he kind of. Uh, you know, gets caught off guard. By like, yeah, like I remember you being like really ambitious and stuff. You know, if you think back to like them on on the Shenzhou, uh, when they served together then and stuff. So he notices the shift in Michael, and I like that Saru was a little suspicious of Book when she's like, "We can use Book to like hide our dilithium." Yeah. Saru's not just like goes along with it. Like he's he's smart enough to be like, "Well, I, let me I think do. about that for a second. I, I did want to change the script slightly. He says, we, we're giving all our dilithium to a stranger. The obvious response is, he's not a stranger. I've known, I, I've known him for a year, and he saved my life a dozen times. We can trust him. That That's the response I would have made. I mean, he's not a stranger, not to Michael. So That's really good. That's true. But uh, that was just a one little or line, been like, comment, one little she, line that felt a little weird to me that they didn't reply. Um, she could have also been like, Saru, a stranger is just a friend you do not know. <laughs> yeah, but I don't give them my dilithium under that. that that's not yeah. the reason to give them all my dilithium. Maybe some, but not all. I like that, uh, I like that books uh, ship. It always feels so advanced. Like I thought they... they put a lot of good time and effort into designing it because the result is really cool. It always seems like something from like the far, far future. It has, it has to like alter its shape. It has to like compact itself to fit in their, their shuttle bay. And so he, he brings his ship on board and they load it up with the uh, dilithium so that he can cloak and hide it. And then they, uh, you know, do the, the, the classic black alert. Captain Saru gives the, the black alert spore drive jump, Spinny, zippy, zappy, back to the. It was cool to see again, system. you know. It's yeah, been a bit. I kind of missed it. It's been a bit. We we yeah. have like this whole season of Picard, this whole season of Lower Decks. I'm like, I need to see a ship spin around like a fidget spinner and twirl <laughs> the nacelles like a ballerina's legs in the air and and you know, jump I across space. Watching, uh, <laughs> talking about the formula of certain shows, like genre shows, you know, uh, like how Buffy would be of this very smart show, but it would always include. You know, there was vampire fight in action in just about every single episode, like 99% of the episodes. Um, there is a little something to be said for those trademark kind of visual and stylistic genre moments. And one of the things Disco does have is, you know, it's cool when they use the spore drive. Uh, it's, uh, I don't feel too embarrassed for thinking, that's eh, still cool. <laughs> yeah, I, well, it kind of sounds like you're describing root. The spore drive is root beer. It, 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 it's a bit too much when you first try it, but after a while, you start to like it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was too much when uh, books reaction when he's like, "Oh shit, you didn't tell me it spins." <laughs> I, I, I liked it. Fun. I, he I, got I, to say what I audience like members have been freaking out about forever. Or weirded out by uh, it was uh, <laughs> it was nice to see the guy who's seen all the future stuff be a little blown away the from. I also think they like 
I, yeah. I also think that kind of sets up how they how their per- relationship is these days. They they hassle each other. They're I well, you know, they, they, it fits with all their other interactions. Have this certain yeah, throughout the energy. episode, we will see them. They're chummy now. They've got shared experiences yeah. and a lot of in jokes and stuff like that. Yeah, and they 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 throw stuff they throw stuff like back and forth at each other with a great deal of gusto and energy. So him being a little over the top about the spinning thing, I think is is half just you know talking about how this is, is his way of saying his way of saying I I like being here and I'm I'm happy to be on this adventure, but I I'm too much of a of a of that kind of rogue to say that that out loud. But I can mm-hmm. say, hey, it spins. That's pretty cool, and you can read that because you know me. So their we'll their about- chemistry is great, and the and their banter works really well. Even later, I know we'll come up to that oh, yeah. scene, but yeah, it's really good. I, I love every scene with them in this episode is just gold. I, I just gold, love I sp- sending them. It's it's like Murtaugh and Riggs and in in uh, 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 Lethal Weapon or something. Not that those right. are the characters, but you could just sit there watch these guys talk for a yeah. half an hour uh, in a donut shop, and you'd still enjoy it. So. Let's talk about their arrival at Earth and the the weird uh, advanced Earth defense system. I I really liked the designs and all of this stuff too. The uh, orbital weapon satellites and the the Earth ships that show up. How they had uh, like I liked it like they weren't huge and like ridiculously gigantic. They yeah. they looked kind of like elegant and they had uh, these uh, floaty bits that weren't like connected to the ship. So that was uh, that was neat. I I thought it was a cool future design. I, 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 wish... I like the Thol. Oh, sorry, you go ahead. Oh, I was, I was just gonna say, I wish we kind of got an update on what's going on with synthetic life forms in the in the galaxy, especially Earth. But also, I thought that this technology was heavily kind of reminiscent for me of that like weird synthetic te- technology that we saw in Picard as well, like synthetic. Ah. Planet. See what I thought was Tholian web. That's a oh, giant neat. planetary Tholian yes. web. There, that could be. Yeah, they could totally be Tholian. Which I kind of like the idea that they've got Tholian web technology. However, yeah, I was wondering. I, I think I, I would be really glad to have this season or next the the AI episode where we get to find out what happened to all the AIs in the thirty second century. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe there's a whole bunch. I'm of so them, tired but... of AIs. Like, I don't. No, I don't no, but like, arc, not AIs, but, but synthetic maybe life not forms. This season, yeah. I said they could wait till season four to do yeah. it. But at some point, we should find out why are there are there a bunch of sapient computers out there or not? And if not, why not? Did Picard fail? Uh, I'm so tired of AI and I'm so tired of like xenophobia and nationalism. Oh, like, I don't I want, like, I, I, I want, would be I happy want, with no xenophobia. I don't I want I, I'm just, other stuff in my Star Trek stories besides but, uh, they, they, they've ran those yeah. into the fucking ground. Yeah, just, well, I think they, they, that, that, it could be like Doc Holodeck. It's just something that they—that's part of society. We just have it. Like at some point, if they just show us what's going on with artificial life, or just that you know, if there's a robot crewman, or there isn't a robot crewman. Yeah. Then I'm down yeah. for that, but I do very, very much agree with Fathering uh, that the major plot points need to take a breather for a while on that topic. Yeah, yeah. Well, if they, if they run into some friendly space traders and they introduce them, their department, their, their their crew, and one of them is a robot, and they say, "And this is Billy the robot," and then they, <laughs> you know, and, and that, and and you know, that would probably be enough for me just to know. Oh, there are robots. There, there's one right. Well, there. one of the, one of the Earth defense people that beam over, one of the inspectors, looks like he might be a robot. Yeah, uh, I got that too. <laughs> but speaking of them, uh, we have. 
uh, Captain Nadoya, I believe was her name. Um, mm-hmm. When they arrive at Earth, uh, she uh, calls them on the view screen, which she thought was quaint to have a view screen. I guess she's used to holograms, even though they had holograms on Discovery in, in the previous seasons. Yeah, uh, yeah. They really shot themselves uh, in the foot multiple well, times. It does seem that. like that holograms seem like a little bit of a luxury and that the, that might not just be hanging out, like be going on much in the future. Um, and they're dark. No, no, future. but the future no. lady is the like future. The future lady is like, why aren't we using holograms? What a what a weak ass like, old shit. They, they actually reference Star Trek Four. I see what you're it. saying. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, and then and then Saru lies about like, oh well, uh, we didn't blow up because our ship wasn't at warp, and we're a generational ship. Even though I'm like the only Kelpian on it, and mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I don't know that like, his lie was kind of ill prepared. They, all of they had by. to have known that they're going into a sort of a paranoid place. Everybody is paranoid in this future. So uh, like a kind of naive lie is not going to go over well. Yeah. yeah, like all of his lies, I think, would be pretty easy to see through. But the second time I watched this, I was thinking about that. And I was like, oh, well, maybe she does see through all of them. Like yeah. maybe she's like, yeah, this guy's full of shit. That's why she's beaming over. Because then she's like. I assume so. I assume that like, she was like. Yeah, I'm not going to, like, challenge you straight away, but I'm going to, like, you know, bull in a china shop through, uh, you know, like, yeah. ask you to, like, be, uh, you know, uh, observed and inspected. Yeah, I'm just going to come over there right now. If, if you are there. as nice and friendly as you say you are, you won't have any problem with my inspection, will you? So, yeah, uh, that's a pretty startling use of their... Uh, of the uh, personal transporters is just boom right there. I like that uh, we, there were some non-human Earth citizens in there too. We yeah. saw like a, a Tellarite on the bridge, and uh, so they're not xenophobic uh, to that degree, even if they are uh, if they are isolationist. Yeah, um, that's well, good. The, Father, can can non-humans be Earthlings? Yes. Yeah, like nice. anyone on Earth is an Earthling. I would think, just like you know, like. Uh, Someone of like Chinese ethnicity can like move to Scotland and then like they they become Scottish. Uh, but they interrupt Linus's lunch when they <laughs> inspectors beam into the the mess hall. We get we get our character Adira, one of our new characters. I love we, Adira. Um, she's she comes into the the spore drive room where they're they're inspecting with these little floaty future orb scanning things, and uh, that's where we see like our weird like. Maybe he's a robot. Maybe he's a oh, yeah. an alien. I don't know what he is, but one of the inspectors is, is definitely like Ooh. inhuman. Yeah. Nightmare okay. Fuel. Maybe that's the robot I was looking for. They they snoop around the uh, the spore cube, and that's where like Adira is like up to something. She's like, oh, this thing is is weird. What's up with this thing? And uh, we don't know it, but she sabotages the the ship through that. So inspections going on. We have to like dress everyone up in uniform, and this oh. is where we have like. Thank like, you for uh, the scene, Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> We're really like the 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 sexy oh. tension between you know the, the fans Arnold. are going to inspect the new guy as well. So. <laughs> I want I want a fan overdub of this with the old like sexy saxophone type, you know, from the sixties music when he steps out. But yeah, like the, like the, the the tension between them is really strong, and it's weird that like. Uh, People could have like this good of chemistry and spend a year together and it not develop into anything. It's, it just seems weird. Yeah, like I could sort of buy it with her Vulcan restraint, stoicism, all of that. Yeah, but and her, she had her already 
least... the last guy she slept with turned out to be like a Klingon who tried to kill her. Yeah, although, yeah. Um, <laughs> sex drive is pretty strong, man. Um, I, well, I, they have I all those that... holograms in the future, right? Like the ho- <laughs> she, she's I don't not... know quite what... <laughs> yeah, she has not finished yeah. her ho- with her holodeck lo- uh, lover yet. You know, yeah. The guy that she was like karate fighting at the beginning of the episode, that hologram... Like, that's not all that she uses that program for. <laughs> I mean, for all I know, like, I don't know that they've explicitly said one way or the other, but maybe Book's gay, and, you know, that would be a problem. Um, but if if they're both interested in each other, I don't know what value the show will eke out of them having spent a year together without without having sex or yeah, having I, any sort of relationship. I don't, it seems kind of weird. I don't want them to draw, like, a will-they-won't-they they type of thing. Yeah. Like, if, if you're going in that direction, just go in it. Yeah, I was well, really especially pleased. after you've thrown down, oh, and they spent a year being the best friends ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, they clearly, like, are fond of each other as people. Yeah. Kinda, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It feels like if they were going to hook up, they would have by now. <laughs> Dave, if they, this revealed, is a- if they revealed that they had, like, hooked up, spent, you know, like, after six months, somehow found that they got argumentative when they were, like, in a physical relationship and, like, that it complicated things for them and they both sort of agreed to step out or become friends with benefits or some other variant. That, and then then they were just like, and just, let's just not mention this at first on the ship. It's just, I don't want to deal with it until we've dealt with other stuff. If they did that, then I'd feel better about it, I think. Just show us some flashback. I don't know. It'd be that really awesome of- if, 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 like, it comes up and the problem is that book being an alien actually doesn't have like compatible uh, uh, sex organs. And so they can't right. actually like do it. That, so that, that seems that like a weird, awesome. like that's like a weird Brandon Braga idea. That <laughs> yeah, certainly like, not Voyager something that's Enterprise. gotten in the way for Star Trek before <laughs> there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're an alien. That's fine. It seems yeah. to be very much the rule of thumb around in Star Trek. But, but Dave, this is, this is also where we get the Burnham and Giorgio together moment where Giorgio right. is in disguise also. I, and I thought this was so funny when she selected uh, an admiral, <laughs> uniform yes <laughs> and michael is like laughing at it she's like really an admiral uniform but they, they have this oh no continue well, i was gonna say they have like this cool heart-to-heart moment where Giorgio like calls her out i'm like oh yeah you had like a little bit of freedom you know being off the ship for a year and, and you liked it and now you don't like she was she she read this on burnham as well you know she yeah. can see it i i will say an admiral on this ship given the lot the story that Saru presented makes vastly less sense than uh, a, a, a guy who's not wearing a Starfleet uniform. If this is a multi-generational Starfleet ship, there'd be no reason to promote somebody to Admiral. Captain would be the default as high as you would need to command Yeah, they didn't, the they didn't plan that lie real no. and, and, and Whereas there could easily be people who, you know, kids who were raised who said, D- dude, I'm not doing the Starfleet thing. I, I, You can't just force me to be a Starfleet officer here uh, just because I was born on this ship. I, I'm not going to be, I'm they not going to try to kill you. But They should all be I, in t-shirts and shorts like uh, in Pulp Fiction when they're washing the brains off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the I, idea that there would be some people for whom Starfleet was not the way they wanted to live. I mean, it certainly makes them seem like draconian jerks to force everyone to wear a uniform. If somebody does is if some kid grows up not wanting to be do the Starfleet thing, uh, whereas yeah, why would sucks. you have an admiral? Yeah. Now, now I, I just a niggling little detail, but it did occur to me. Yeah, that- every single thing about Saru's cover story is not good. 
Yeah, don't put, yeah, like, don't put this guy are. in a uh, Donnie Brasco situation. Yeah, don't lie anymore, Captain Saru. Yeah, it is is becoming clear that while Saru is is perhaps a a qualified captain, he is not the bluffer that Captain Kirk is, or something where he could just yeah. spin bullshit like mad and convince everyone that his <laughs> ship will create an explosion that will destroy everything for a light year. Yeah, the uh, the screenshot you've her, got, uh, I forget what her name is, but like her face here says it all. Yeah, what is it? I was gonna say the Majulia. same thing. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's like that's well, the the perfect sh- expression in- right there. <laughs> In the ready room, we get this exposition dump from, from Captain Nadoya where she explains, yeah, Earth, we're all self-sufficient. We don't associate with anyone else. Uh, we're getting raided by this asshole named Wen, and that's why we're suspicious of everyone, and we don't really like you hanging around here, so you should probably leave. They do ask about, well, hold on, you know, we came here to, looking for an Admiral Tall. Like, do you know this Admiral uh, at Starfleet? She like Googles them and is like, oh, bad news. <laughs> that guy died uh, two years ago on an outbound ship and Starfleet hasn't hasn't been around Earth at all. So, you know, you're very, out a lot. Uh, very Sifo-Deist type stuff going on here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they answer it. This mystery box do. does not yeah, last beyond this episode, which is it's I am true. very thankful for that they don't have a dozen of these mystery box threads dra- <laughs> dragging through a- each episode. We get we get a, a red alert that like, oh, this guy that we just told you about, this raider named Wen, like he's showing up right now. And they get uh, attacked by the, these uh, ships that are out looking for dilithium. And he shows up on their view screen with like a black manta helmet on. It looks uh, cool. I, I did like here where they kind of explain, you know, we eventually learn that these are humans from Titan who have been like shot at whenever they tried to come to Earth to ask for help. And they kind of explain here like why they didn't just like have some type of communication with Earth because like Earth is, is basically saying like, yeah, you know, like if, if these people like show up, like we don't pick up the phone if they try to call because Sa- Saru like opens communications with them. And this captain is like, why would you do that? Why would you talk to these people? And he's like, because diplomacy is cool. And she's like, like, no, you can't talk to them. <laughs> because diplomacy is cool. That's awesome. <laughs> nominate that for line of the night (laughs) she she tries to just like like bounce out of there she tries to be like okay i'm just gonna leave and we can just blow them up but their transporters aren't working she can't she can't leave she's been sabotaged and uh, eventually tilly and stamets discover it was something that that adira did to the the spore cube and they use some kind of tng style deflector dish explanation for like oh yeah the transporter signals are scrambled they can't beam away that kid must be a fucking genius but uh, they, uh, yeah, they hammered that home just in case you weren't sure. But I think it's it's reasonable. It's going to be a defining quality of the character, and um, uh, it it is. Uh, she she really did put her own people at hardcore risk, though. <laughs> well, I thought to some degree it was more than just I didn't want to leave, but by by trapping my people on this ship, it forces Earth to protect. It could force Earth to protect this ship. Mm-hmm. That she's once mm. she wants the ship. She she thinks this might be the ride she's been looking for. The ticket ho- to the to out of here that she's been looking for. So, you know, by forcing them to keep some of her their office their people on the ship, that says Earth is going to be less. Oh well, there's a bunch of our people up there. I guess we better make sure Discovery doesn't get blowed up. Yeah, I want to call I would say. 
potentially she could be like that'd be like showing some trill maturity but she she is not in uh not in contact at all or not in complete contact with her previous selves she says it's difficult i think was yeah. the word to remember the stuff okay yeah i think i think just being a human instead of a trill she's having a hard time connecting to that uh which is interesting sort of youthful um pushiness and intelligence and little teenageriness as opposed to uh like sort of a trill uh wisdom but we'll, we'll talk to, we'll talk about her in a in a moment uh, i want to call attention to to what happens next in the episode because this is where it just it, it gets really stupid uh, mm-hmm. and th- this is one of the, the things that just really frustrated the hell out of me is burnham and saru like look at each other on the bridge like they clearly have like a moment uh where i guess burnham is already thinking about like the plan that she's gonna do and then like it, it cuts to black for like a commercial break and then immediately after that the next thing we see is book in the mess hall and burnham coming in there with her plan to solve the problem that she didn't tell Saru about. It's like, why? Literally, like, the last thing we saw was, like, you and Saru looking at each other, and the next thing, you know, like, you're with Book off on this plan. Like, why couldn't you tell him what you were doing? They never explained a reason for her to keep it secret. Fathery, how could she tell uh, Saru with with Captain Nadoya there? Like, it would have compromised... Captain, can I talk to you in the ready room? But... Okay, I guess, but it, it's like a tense situation. I just felt like I, I think she definitely uh, made a mistake in not telling Saru, and she even kind yeah, of says she that. It. She says, I, "Oh, she could I have sent it through the she could have I, sent I, it through the chair." That's true. She could have sent a text message. I do think that sharply, boy. Though I think you 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 captured what they wanted to convey. I think they just maybe didn't make it because they will oftentimes choose sort of drama, a dramatic situation over sort yeah. of a logical one. Yeah. But uh, and I think they were, you know, it, it's more dramatic if there is a little hint of like, oh, what's going on? We don't even know what these people are doing. Um, yeah. But it's it's like slightly cheap drama. But but I think yeah, that was supposed to be the idea. Is that in the midst of that, they might have tipped their hand too much if they, you know, right? They they wanted to have they wanted to have this moment of like Burnham. She's the one who like go rogue and go do like the crazy thing off on her own and. They don't. They don't draw the lines very well to connect that dot to their other the, their other big. Uh, I guess. The, I mean, the fact, me, she apolo- the fact that she apologizes later though makes me wonder if they're just writing Burnham to be Burnham. Like she's admittedly this character when she has her like drug induced experience. Like she is admitted admittedly this character who kind of does like to jump the gun. I mean, she d- jumps the gun to cause the mutiny that causes the war. She jumps the gun. You know, she's a little more reserved, I guess, in season two, because Pike was such a good like commander, I guess. And he has to have that real like solid talk with her about like trust and everything like that. And it kind of moved her, I guess. But here she's sans captains. You know, she respects Saru, but he's not like the captain yet. You know, even though she gave him the chair well, and all that. Like, she hasn't yeah. had a captain. I mean, I right. guess Book technically is captain too, guess, of yeah. his ship, but not she's in even that. more mavericky than ever. Like, yeah, I guess yeah. if, if I thought there was some consequence to her, like, telling him the plan, like, oh, like, he might not want me to do it, or, yeah. oh, I like, think he it might not... There's it, a very good chance from her perspective, given the, the how he threw a fit about to... he was only willing to have the dilithium in book ship if they kept it in the shuttle bay. Now she's like, I'm going to go over there and fly the dilithium and, and give the bad guys a chance to steal all our dilithium. That's my plan. Yeah. I like, could I totally see... Especially from her perspective, suddenly being stuck back in the straitjacket of a Starfleet 
structure that she overreacts and says, no, Saru won't trust me. Saru will not go for this plan. I have to, I have to force him into the plan. I, I'm kind of surprised she didn't leave a note for him that would like pop up on yeah. his phone after she was gone when, the, when there was nothing he could do to stop it. There's a lot of things on the hill and being able to figure it out. So it, like, this yeah. isn't something like you would want to do with not informing the other party. If, if anything, that's, that's going to make you less likely to pull this off. I was well, cringing yeah. later on when Saru had to keep on saying, well, I, we just got to trust her. And I'm like, I'm like, like and so many things could have gone wrong and like made it all go wrong. So it was, yeah, it was it, it like they, and in some ways they drew attention to their own artifice and it was a little frustrating. See, I, uh, I, I, I see like some... the fact that they, I mean, at the end he says, you should have told me that that was not the way to do that. And we've got to have a talk <laughs> that we're not going to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. I just would have rather have just, just skipped all of that and just like, I see have, stress them, have them be K, working together. Stress-free K in the comments says, uh, Nadoya would not let Saru out of her sights. That's why she beamed immediately over. So I think that was in response to the notion of that, you know, Burnham could have taken him aside um so um yeah that's, that's where i say like the show doesn't prioritize clarifying things right they they, they they could make that clear like it's it's that's, that's part of like like writing is you have to come up with like clever natural organic ways to communicate information like that sure and, and that needs and to be I a did, higher I priority I agree. I would like Disco to get better at that. <laughs> I think they have gotten better at it. I think season three yeah, is I a agree. market improvement. Well, uh, to quote I Captain often... Picard, not good enough, damn it. Not good enough. <laughs> I find this amusing given how forgiving you were of this st- of season one, which was much did a much worse job at this. Fathery's <laughs> like, uh, a line must be drawn here. Yeah, yeah, that was okay for season one, but they should be better by now. Even better than they have gotten better. So, <laughs> so the the plan is to is to take the dilithium over to the raiders and then when and offer it to them and then snatch their leader when they drop their shields, I guess, for for transport. But you know, Saru doesn't know this, so he's you know very under, understandably he's just like, what the hell? What is she doing? Oh, what's going on here? And and Giorgio is kind of having to like coach her uh, through it and and let her let him know that uh, oh like. She has a plan, and and it's weird to see like Mirror Giorgio kind of mentor Sha- uh, Saru, knowing that Prime Giorgio was his his actual mentor. Yeah. But she she tells him that you know the thing about the immovable object and the what is it the unstoppable, unstoppable force, force yeah. the, the immovable yeah. object. Yeah. Basically, it, like trying to like I guess codedly tell him like you're gonna have to like take the hit of the of the torpedoes that they're gonna fire. See, that was the bit of writerly dialogue that I really first that that unstoppable force metaphor thing just annoyed me. I was like, yeah. uh, I don't like it's, it. it. It's didn't very work. trite. They, they use that a lot. Uh, I, I like the dand- the dandelions I was okay with, but this was <laughs> a step what too was far. The, what was the philosopher that Saru is able to quote because of his relationship with uh, the actual Captain Giorgio that Sans- impresses? Sansu? It would have been great if she gave him a code in a Sansu, like some sort of like, yeah. you know, like some kind of thing that like referenced that to get him to trust her by referencing the Giorgio that he does like. That would have been a neat like thing, I think. Mm, I like that. Thank you. Yeah, but instead uh, we get the, <laughs> the, the cliche and and so Burnham contacts Wen and tells him, uh, you know, we're just trying to uh, ensure this all goes peacefully. We're willing to give you all this dilithium. And while that's going on, Captain Adoya is like, no, we're going to like shoot at those raiders. We're going to blast them out of the sky. And that's where 
Saru tells Detmer, he's like, okay, we're going to take the hit. We're p- position us to like take these super ass a thousand years in the future advanced torpedoes, quantum torpedoes at that, which I guess Saru wouldn't know about. But Detmer is kind of like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> I appreciated the idea that the 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 shitty boy, these raiders are really crap, and they have cute Q torps, and Q torps are now really crap. <laughs> if your raiding party has, is firing Q torps at you, they're clearly not well, really no, the, the that Earth ships. Much. The Earth ships have the quantum oh, torpedoes. Oh, is the Earth ship shooting? Okay, no, I, yeah. oh, okay. Because uh, Nadoya says, you know, those Earth ships have orders to fire on these raiders. Yeah, and they'll, right. they'll fire on you if you block them. And yeah. they didn't talk about, like, what we call Detmer's headache from last week. Oh, but yeah. I, think, I think it might be, like, maybe she just has, like, some PTSD issues. And maybe that's why, like, she kind of, like, reacts kind of, um, it's kind of strangely uh, cowardly for what we typically see in, like, Starfleet officers, where... where uh, she doesn't want to like risk the ship taking the hit from these torpedoes, and yeah. uh, but Saru is like adamant about doing it, and even like Owo is like, "Hey, our shields are at like a hundred percent, like you know, chill. Like we we have <laughs> a good out- shot at surviving." <laughs> uh, it turns out that she was actually right because one shot takes out the the, the no, shield. Two, they, they get two hit by two, uh, two, two take them out. Yeah, two ships fire a torpedo each, okay. and the, but just like those two torpedoes hit the Discovery. And then, okay, bam, shields are down now. Okay, and next, another shot will blow us up. I did appreciate the fact that they did say, oh, the weapons of the 32nd century would be able to swat Discovery like a bug. Uh, there are so yeah. many not sci-fi things, places where people write, they don't really think through just how vast the difference in capability would be between uh, a ship from the 23rd century and a ship from the 32nd century. Uh, it would just be huge. So yeah, I appreciated like a, that they, I was really worried they were going to mess, mess that up, mess this up. I was actually very tense. It's going to be bad. They're going to, I just have to brace myself because they're going to screw it. Oh, it took it down their shields in two hits. Nice. It'd be like <laughs> if, a, if an old like Viking ship, like yeah. uh, showed up uh, at the like United States, coast guard and and try to like fight those ships it would be like (laughs) it would go down like that uh but the discovery being hit by the torpedoes it helps uh convince uh when to like lower his shields because like burnham and book they tell him they're like look that ship is about to be destroyed uh i know you think it's suspicious we would hand over all the silithium but the clock is running out so it's do or die right now like do you want the dilithium or not so it actually does play into like the their plan and allows them to, uh, you know, to, to to trick this guy. They he drops his shields. They grab him, and then all of a sudden they're on like the bridge of the discovery. It's all like boom, 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 boom. Okay, here we are. We caught the bad guy. Yeah. I have a feeling that uh, personal transporters are going to be very handy for the type of storytelling Discovery likes, which is sometimes boom, boom, yeah. boom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's definitely how you explain it all here. I, I thought it was like a little weird at first, but then when I watched it the second time, I I did think about like, oh yeah. Personal transporters, they, they could instantly go from books ship to this bridge. No problem. That all works. Yeah. And uh, here comes and Discovery, the had its, and Discovery had its shields down. So, right. uh, though one could argue that the sh- the transporters of the 32nd century might be able to beam right through Discovery yeah. shields. But... They even kind of like insinuate that at the beginning when the Discovery's at red alert, but Nadoya and all of her people just like pop onto the ship anyways. I, I, oh, yeah. yeah. I think with, with Disco shields or. 
there's ain't going to do nothing to stop the yeah, transporters. Oh, I hadn't caught that, but you are right. That that last scene is the burn and burn, by the way, when she <laughs> puts them both together and she's like, now you're going to talk. That's what Saru does here. He does kind of the Starfleet thing and yeah. he he wants them to you know talk, put your differences aside, let's figure this out. You know, this is a Kirk or Picard type thing. You know, we're yeah. just going to sit in here around this table, and we're going to talk about it until we have, like, a peaceful solution. But then Georgia is like, eh, fuck that. That takes too long. I'm going to karate kick this guy in the leg and then pull off his helmet, Scooby-Doo style. And I'm going to take his mask off. You're going to be, he's this sad-ass white boy. He's actually, he's the actor who played Mr. Swede on Hells on Wills. So this is the third Hells on Wills actor to oh, show up and discuss see, me now. See, for me... I, I, the moment I saw him, he played uh, well one of the a reoccurring minor character named Halling on Stargate Atlantis. But he also played the best, probably my favorite Stargate villain. Certainly the best Stargate villain they had in Stargate Atlantis. He played the wraith named Todd, who had the Ziggy Stardust tattoo on his mm. face, and he was amazing. And I was mm. like, "That's him, right?" And then he started talking without the mask. I was like, "Oh yeah, that's him." I, that's I was a cool so, get. The, that's the, a cool the, get for Disco. Yeah, though the uh, there's a Stargate Facebook page was all like, "Oh my goodness, it's hot. it's uh, what's his name? It's his awesome. name is uh, Christopher Hey Hey I, I could be butchering that last Herndall, name. I think. Yeah, Is uh, if you want an actor <laughs> whose face immediately conveys uh, haggardness and and desperation, he yeah. he instantly does that. By the way, yeah. Father, could you? Could you jump back two slides real quick? Because I want to see uh, George Al's impish grin. Maybe three slides. Uh, right before she does it. Oh, yeah. That's the one. So good. I don't think she ruined the negotiations. She no. just accelerated them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, thought, I thought this was good use. I actually like the way that they wrote Giorgio in this episode. Mm-hmm. And it's written by the showrunners who are doing the Section 31 show. Erica mm-hmm. LaPolt and Bowie Kelm. Okay. I, I do like her in this sort of role. I, I like her being the, you know, like, uh, bored with bureaucracy kind of a little bit. Of, that's her old emperor style. Um, <laughs> I don't necessarily like when she's, like, straight up threatening Saru and, or, or, like, undercutting Tilly. But there's there's definitely a quality, you know, that those kind of characters, those Wolverine-type characters do bring something to the roles. And and I thought that there were several beats where she, she was good in this. I really – that I did nope. like her. Nadoya is is really surprised to see that Wen is human, and I guess she kind of feels like the the error of the Earth ways of like, oh, we were like actually like infighting with other humans all these years, and they they explained that like he's actually from Titan. It was uh, in the the future. It became a some uh, research station, and uh, they after the burn, their facility was like severely damaged. They needed dilithium. They knew Earth had like a big stockpile and when they came to earth to try to ask for some their ships got shot down so they they became raiders to try to survive and uh I know, I know you don't watch the expanse but one thing i like to do i've I seen every I, episode of the expanse oh that's right that's right never mind uh i was back in time for a second i was in the 20 <laughs> I, I just watched century. it like a, a couple right. months ago <laughs> That's right. Um, my my thing that I liked about this is that because Titan's gravity is like fourteen percent of Earth, so it kind of made sense that he's like lanky and tall, and mm. you know, so it was kind of a cool like, thing. Like the outer planetary people yeah. in the Expanse, right? Yep. Holly they, uh, pointed that out that... too. She's Holly was like, "Oh, I get it. He's tall because he's from Titan." So right. Am I correct that the Earth defense people thought that um, 
uh, that, that like Titans people would have uh, that, that they were much better outfitted and uh, supplied than they were. Yeah, she seems kind of surprised because she's like, oh, I thought you were like a research station and you were making all that liquid hydrocarbon or, you know, whatever. But uh, they, they, they come up with an agreement to trade some of their research data for dilithium. And so they're uh, at peace now. Saru did it. We kind of end things with Nadoya on, on good terms. She says, okay, your people are welcome here. You can come down and visit Earth if you want. And uh, so all of that stuff is settled. And I just want to talk about, before we get into the ending, uh, talk about Adira a little bit, because we get like that conversation between her and Stamets, where he he confronts her and... He kind of he comes clean with her, you know. He's like, "Okay, you obviously know there's weird things about our ship. I'm just going to tell you everything. We have this spore drive. Uh, I use it because I have tardigrade DNA. Uh, I have to hook up my arm to the thing to navigate it. Yeah, it's all like really weird and stuff. But you know, no secrets. I'm going to tell you everything. Now, you tell me what's up with you because you seem a little weird yourself. And she she tells him like, "Oh, well, yeah, that admiral you're looking for, Admiral Tall. Like, uh, I know him." And I, I, I want to join up with you and go off and find Starfleet. That's why I sabotage your ship. I became an inspector to try to, to find a Starfleet ship and get on board it and join up with it and uh, go help rebuild the Federation. And she goes to talk to Saru, and she tells Saru that, yeah, Admiral Tall, I'm actually Admiral Tall because he is a, a Trill symbiont that I am currently the host of. Which, if you watch The Next Generation, you can understand how... Yeah, it is possible to install a Trill symbiote into a, uh, a human uh, body, uh, even though it didn't work out good for like long-term situations. The next generation, this is hundreds of years more advanced medical technology. And they, they bring up the, the uh, sphere data. Yes, I love that they acknowledge that, that they remember that the sphere data, they can get a lot of mileage out of that. They can use that to explain like any weird continuity thing. Maybe this is why Burnham knew about Gorn in the first episode. She read about him on the sphere data. Like, they, they weren't supposed hmm. to know until Next Generation. Humans didn't know that, that Trill passed symbionts between each other. Uh, that was like news when they, when they learned that in that episode of The Host in The Next Generation. But yeah. so Rugen just been like, oh, I read it in the sphere data. That, that yeah. sphere that knew everything about the universe, it's all here in black and white. I do think, thought it was interesting that they chose to quickly summarize uh, the, the, uh, um, the whole Trill symbiote thing. As if basically, uh, well, we, we have to, for, for those of you who didn't watch DS9, here's a little bit, but, but we were kind of assuming you probably know what this is. But they went into great detail with the uh, spore drive in, uh, it, whereas they could have summed up that a bit faster too. I think the spore drive is going to be important to this season more than just a fast way to travel. I, I think they wanted to lay out, okay, this is, remember, this is what spore drive is. You're going to need to know that yeah. later. You got to remind the audience about it. And so that they, they also, use it in, in their previously on scenes, they can use some exact clips from that scene. I, oh, that's a, yeah. that's not a bad idea, <laughs> but yeah. Recap I think, material? I, I have a what hunch spore drive will be the new warp drive by by the end of this season or or the next that they're going to be using to rebuild the Federation. It would be cool to see a fleet of ships all do the spore drive spin <laughs> simultaneously. And where, pop, 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 where are they going to get uh, all those tardigrades? Uh, it's the 32nd century. You can pick them up on any corner store. Into, into the mycelial web. Yeah. Um, now, they do need to explain I at think, least 
in passing, if they do a whole bunch of everybody gets a spore drive, you get a spore drive, you get a spore drive. If they do that, they do need to explain why it's not damaging the mycelial space network. I would thing. like, yes, don't, yeah, don't screw that one up. Don't it's forget like- that. I, I, I'm fine with them fixing it with a something, but they should have some lines of dialogue to explain why that's no longer a problem. Yeah, they should have had a line of dialogue uh, about that like 10 episodes ago. Why do you guys think Stamets spilled the beans so readily about everything? He likes to boast, and the smart people who could actually appreciate his genius are are the most best people to boast to. <laughs> I true. like that. Let's just leave it at that. That's a good answer. I don't think we're going to top that one. Uh, the, the, the other cool piece of information that we get here at the ending that's going to be important, though, is that um, what we were mentioning before, Adira cannot access these memories of the, the Starfleet Admiral, uh, of, Which of is- Admiral Tall. Odd, because Riker's whole personality was taken over by his symbiote. But yeah. but she she's apparently the symbiote is very much a uh, not even a backseat driver. It sounds like I, I I hope they explain a little bit more what is tall and what is not tall. Is it symbiote or symbiont? Symbiont. Yeah. Symbiont. Oh, okay. Symbiote is Venom and Spider Man. Uh, okay. Is it symbionte? <laughs> yeah. Symbiont. No. Symbiont. Okay, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's a symbionce. Symbion- that was a bad joke. <laughs> and we we end the episode with uh, Saru and Burnham having a conversation about you know trust. Uh, yeah, it was wrong of me not to tell you what I was doing. That was stupid. I won't do it again. And they have the the uh, telescope from from Giorgio that went to Burnham that went to Saru. That uh, I'll talk about that when I I do the the Gorn eggs here in a moment. But that kind of symbolizes, I guess, trust between them. Yeah. I question I have, she says, uh, she mentions there was a lot I had to let, there was stuff I had to let go of. What, do we have any theories as to what she let go of? I think just like any like hope of like seeing them again or any like, like feeling of like being like part of a crew or part of the yeah, family. But, if it, but she's seen them again. That's back. We're, we're, we're over that. She's something else. She let go of, could, that is still a problem for her. Maybe she, I don't mm. know. Well, did she like let go of her need to have a crew as family? Like, you know, and found her independence in doing so. And uh, I don't know. I, my hunch is that she had to let go of some of her Starfleet ethics at some point, and uh, mm, that, that, yeah. that she's not sure yeah. if she sh- deserves to wear the uniform or if that she That's can a get really interesting point. to the person she should be if she's I going to be that. wearing. And maybe that maybe those chickens will come home to roost. Maybe like the ship will run into some people, and they're like, "Oh my God, you have Michael Burnham!" And she oh, really yeah, she tortured us for hours. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just I, I hope they don't go too far with it. I don't want yeah, them to no. ruin her character, but it needs. Yeah, to be but plausible. but she and Book might have done like a heist or something like that on some sketchy people you know i could for sure see that kind of stuff happening it's more or less what was going on in the first episode or or just she totally blew off the prime directive once oh look these people are all gonna die because of x but the prime directive says i can't do it screw it there's no starfleet book let's go save those people Mm. and they go down and save them all and they find out about space aliens and warp drive and then they leave and i can see her just just the fact that she blew the prime directive might be something she was not comfortable with in this new setting speaking of book she says goodbye to Book. Uh, he's uh, going to part ways uh, with her. He's gone. But he even kind of calls her out on like, uh, like, uh, are you sure you're going to be, you know, back at home, back at place on this ship? You don't want to be like hanging out with me, being like space renegades with me or whatever. <laughs> I'm sure he, we will see him again shortly. He's not going to be. He's not going to be yeah. gone for long. His name is in the opening credits. So yeah. He, yeah. But book shall return. Do not fret. I do have a question. 
it was like, oh no, we have to make sure our dilithium is hidden. Otherwise we'll have a big bullseye painted on us. And now they're like, okay, let's just put the dilithium back in the shelf where everybody can see it. They were hiding it because they were going to a planet because they were going to Earth. So they're not going to any more, they're not planning to go to any more planets in the yeah, future. Yeah, I don't know. They'll have to figure out a different way to hide it, I guess, if they go somewhere else where they're Which, I, again, there's a, uh, something that would have been a nice line of dialogue is, oh, we'll come up with some way to hide the dilithium. You just go on your way or something, you know. Or we're just going to be ready to, like, uh, like just spore jump away. And, what and if like, they had gosh, a gosh, it would have been... It would have been nice. Like one of those, to... uh, like a false wall of bricks over it. <laughs> I... <laughs> why? Why can't Book just give them his cloaking device technology? Right? Like, can't they just replicate his cloaking device? Even like, there's that, probably that no. Probably I guess like, they have to follow the. Y'all treaty better of... give me more dilithium. <laughs> if I'm yeah, no, that is actually device. an excellent question. Is is there a database and technological exchange that they could do? They have the money that Book would want the dilithium <laughs> to pay yeah, for they, it. If Book, they can go buy all the upgrades. All the upgrades for this one of ship. my yeah one of my nitpicks, and I do hope that they address it in the next episode. Is that I would hope that the people of Earth, even though they're dicks, would be like, yo, you're not going to survive uh, out there no. with what you have. Let's upgrade your ship a little bit and give you new shield technology. Something uh, that like... Would they were going to go them. that far. Like, again, you, you can come visit the, your tree. You can come yeah. look at your tree, but that's it. You're not, well, not gonna they they have anything. the dilithium. They can pay for the upgrades. It's not like that's they have true. to do it, make yeah. it a charity. But thing. Earth has dilithium. It sounds like Earth is... The value of the dilithi- of the of a dilithium crystal on a, on Earth is probably a lot yeah. lower than everywhere else in the galaxy. Yeah, they're, they're like, we never go anywhere. We just stay, yeah. we just stay at home. We hoard all the FTL Technol- uh, FTL resources, but we never use it. It's like Gallifrey yeah. or something. Oh, like I, I barely leave my, I've barely left my house since March nineteenth. So like, I, <laughs> I, 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 I've spent like maybe like fifty dollars on gas since then. Like, <laughs> uh, so I, I get it. I get it. Uh, they don't need yeah. no dilithium. Um, what do y'all think of, of seeing Tilly and and the rest of the gang run around on the on the green grass and get to go literally hug the the big tree? I did like that Michael doesn't go down because yeah. for her Earth isn't home. She was raised on a space station and then on Vulcan. Mm-hmm. I mean, she went to Starfleet Academy, but Earth she didn't is go not to the home. Academy. Oh, oh yeah, you're right. She did. She, she, oh, right? yeah. she went to school on Vulcan. And then Earth is not her home. Got a commission. Going down there would not mean near as much to her as it would be to a lot of these people. Yeah. I didn't think um, about that before, but that's great. And then I just like the scene, you know, all together. Uh, just I love trees. I like this concept. Like at school, at high school, I used to sit under a tree at lunchtime. There's just like something really human and or Earthling like about it, and. Uh, so I'm a tree hugger, I admit it, and I really you, like. You know what I wish they had on this tree that's, that's been at Starfleet Academy all this time? It would have been like a really subtle, cool little Easter egg, I think. But if they had like carved like a heart with the letters AF in it, uh, or what? That's uh, when uh, when Picard was at the academy, he carved uh, the letters AF into a tree, and Boothby saw him and like yelled at him. And got mad at them. Oh, I, I think the tree, the way trees grow, I don't think that carving would last six hundred yeah, years. Yeah, that doesn't but. make any sense. But <laughs> and uh, I hear AF, and it means something different nowadays. It, yeah, well, it used to mean it was. It used to mean like the reason why Picard almost didn't pass one of his classes. No, no, was because of someone. Why named AF? AF? 
uh, I mean, a pl- was it a plus F or no? It was just a F. No, a F. A F was the the girl he liked. Okay, okay. There wasn't. I thought you were saying like usually it's a, you. You do a plus F or something, and right. I was like, like I don't see. Whoever. Yeah, Jean Luc Picard do doesn't have an A or an F star <laughs> in any of those words, but yeah, he would have been JP as uh, yeah. Raffi calls him. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like I like that Tilly yeah. is like. Like, oh, Dad, do we have to beam up now? Can we just have, like, five more minutes? And Saru is like, okay, you can have five more minutes with your tree. <laughs> Which is nice. There's so it's much just, of that. Oh, can we have five more minutes? No, we need it now, Go that happens in science like fiction. We're, like, forced and dear. Like, I don't know. Like, it just comes off as, like, a little hokey and forced to, like, have this big of a celebration about getting to, like, look at a tree. I, I think I their, their whole world has been ripped away from them yeah. voluntarily, but still. Uh, I was about to say that. Like, that's, yeah. that's what they chose to do. Yes, I think if but they, uh, it's still I, I, a traumatic thing. <laughs> I like the scene. Um, I think, Fathery, I, I think to some degree you're right, where if we had seen a little bit of talk earlier, like if there was a little bit of murmurings and a brief montage among the crew that's like, Oh, we're going to Earth. I, I don't. I, they, they, there was a little bit of that, right? Tilly, Tilly talks about how sad and struggling she is with having everything. Yeah. I got one away. of those one of those things to bring up in the in the Gorneggs too. So uh, I, just, I, I don't just know. Think they should have toned it down a little bit. Oh, they, I, I, I think it would have been. I think it would have been really neat if they started out like let's say at the archives or something, and someone says, "I wonder if that tree's still around," and that yeah. prompts them to all go together to see the tree or something. No but pun intended. I, only because. Only because I would love to have seen like what happened to Starfleet headquarters. Like, what did they turn it into? In the is it now a water reclamation plant? What you know, like what's going on with the also, HQ? You know, so that would have been Tilly me. holds her communicator right as well. So well, good job, Jonathan Frakes. Uh, but yeah, like, I kind of I think it would have been more effective if they would have planted the seed for that tree earlier in the episode. Like, but they do. Jelly says everything we knew know is gone, and they said, "Well, cake, cake is forever." But yeah, but uh, that, and then they go there, and not everything they knew is Thing gone. Is gone. That's there's true. the tree, and there's the Golden Gate Bridge, which That's I thought true. was a wonderful callback to that scene. I love the ending. This is probably my that see, pull, the pullback showing the bridge was probably my second favorite beat in this it is. In story. I, I saw yeah. that that trees live as long as they do, that they do span that generation. Yeah. And I, I saw this and I thought, well, what a weird message that like, yes, like, like the utopian earth paradise of Gene Roddenberry's future lives on, even though they become like isolationist assholes <laughs> and it's still a paradise. So but they're not like, assholes. When they find out the situation with the, Titan, do, yeah. the, the people of Titan, they're like, okay, we, we should, do something about yeah, that. Yeah, arguably the thematic, although I, I I think you're right, Fathery, that it's, a lot of these are kind of inelegant uh, things, uh, expressions of ideas, but, um, like, if we had seen a little bit more of a suggestion that, yes, these people were, you know, got got carried away with their fears, but, like, that they're, they're you know, the, the message here would be that they were ready to, always wanting to get back to what's, you know, Star Trek's ideals were on some level. Yeah. Yeah. Which it would have been hard to convey all that. So it's just it, it's um it's murky. The whole thing is murky. And, and like I said at the top of the show, like I'm not sure if I if I like this future depiction of of Earth humans or if I dislike it or what. But uh, it 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 doesn't like really bother me too much. Um, it's just it's it's just kind of a it's just kind of a mixed bag for me. 
it subverted hey. all my expectations about what I was going to see on Earth and mm. etc. But but I would say that at the end of the day, it I like that it did that because um, I didn't want Sequest DSV, you know, like mm. <laughs> like I want you know, or like that kind of like happy you know ending. This is a bittersweet ending. And I do, I do think it's interesting. And I think that'll be a big thing. Like, at least for me, my hope is that like by the end of this season or maybe even into next season, we see like, uh, you know, maybe this is what reunification part three is all about. I don't know, but like, you know, somewhere there's redemption or maybe not redemption, but maybe transformation back to trusting and like exploration and like away from this isolationist mindset. I guess I was braced for, you know, originally at the before I'd seen any clips for this se- season that, yeah, they're going to go to Earth and it's going to be a bombed out ruin because it's gonna be the how you do these. It, it's going to be that's how you do these things. Yeah. And I don't I'm want glad that. We didn't and I'm, that. Yeah. And so I'm actually quite pleased, given that I know there was a, a, a would have been a strong temptation to just have it be a Great bombed point. out ruin with maybe a domed city a la Buck Rogers or something. So. That is a great point. I like that. That's true. But I also I also kind of wish that like like because Star Trek is like a story of humans' potential, and the humans are kind of like presented as kind of like in the forefront, and they're kind of like like the leaders. Because it's yeah, I see how like that that can like bother people. Like, why does everything have to be about humans in Star Trek? But it's like it was a show created to be about like humans and our potential and our best possible future. And you know, it's not a show about like the best possible future of Andorians or Tellarites or. Nausicans or anything so that, that's why they always have to like uh focus it on 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 humans because it is a, a human story and i kind of would have liked it more if 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 like like humans collectively as like a whole just uh preserved those those roddenberry values uh a, a little bit more wholeheartedly um i i think i would have preferred that I mean, I guess they did a better job than I expected preserving them. I was given that I was expecting. Yeah. Yeah, they certainly could have Mad done a lot Max. worse. They, yeah, yeah, they they, they could have turned it into Mad Max World, and I, and I would or turned and it into instead, like Terminator or something. I, yeah, I think that we. Get, oh wait, you're all dying out on Titan. Well, okay, maybe we can do something about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think I think that someone in the chat said something about Star Trek values, and I think as much as I love Gene Roddenberry and his, and his value system and humanism and things like that. Um, I do think that like others have added to that vision in a great way, like such as, uh, yeah, Star Trek ideals, such as like uh, DS9, Voyager, and even Enterprise. <laughs> and that's kind of always evolving. It shouldn't evolve too crazily, but it is kind of grown into something bigger than what Gene Roddenberry originally just did, you know? No, and I'm all for like, like not restricting yourself to, you know, what Roddenberry's I- ideas were. But I think you should always have that depiction of of like, the Roddenberry uh, future of, of humanity. I think that should always be depicted in Star Trek. Uh, if, if you're doing anything in Star Trek, it needs to be that. Um, that's that's my that's my feeling on it. But I, I like what Stress Free K just said. Um, History of a people is not always a steady progression toward perfection. Some regression is natural, and and I think that's that's okay to show in Star Trek, and maybe even vital to uh, to depict that. It can't always be a sort of perfect arc rising. Well, yeah, and I agree with like the Cisco quote. You know, it's easy to be a saint in paradise, and I think it's it's important to show like that's that's uh, th- that ideal utopian society is a fragile thing, and like it can it it, it can be cracked and it can falter. Uh, but I, I think in general, like you know, the status quo of humanity as a people should be focused on on those ideals. 
Um, you know, so like we we often see like like admirals like go crazy and try to like do bad stuff, or you know, it'd be fine if there was like some Earth colony that tried to do something. Just like the fact that they they kind of showed like this is humanity as kind of a species kind of collectively chose to do this. Um, I, this is where is where I I I take issue. See, I guess for me, the humanity by the thirty second century has to be so much bigger than Earth. I mean, the number of colonies they had in the 23rd or 24th century was huge. And the idea that by the 32nd century, the the number of humans who have never set foot on Earth has to outnumber the ones on uh, who have set foot. Yeah, yeah. So, Book says he's never been there, even though he has yeah. a very Earth name with Cleveland Booker that they comment on. But yeah, um, yeah and, and I'm, I'm sure I'm sure we'll see more human characters uh, throughout the the rest of the season. But unless anyone else has any other remarks on the episode, I'll go ahead and. I had two comments that are quick. One, I was uh, amused to see that shrooming is still a thing in the 23rd century because Tilly knows exactly what you could do with those mushrooms. And and (laughs) if you're dealing with a teenager, I was like, oh, oh, so that's it's not just something that happens in that spore drive room. That's something. Shrooms. Yeah, yeah. Shrooming (laughs) has been a thing for Tilly before she became on board. Cheers to the real life Paul Stamets. Yeah. (laughs) And then the other thing I thought is if Tal gets her memories back, does that mean as Admiral Tal, she's now the highest ranking Starfleet officer on the ship and gets to order everyone around? That would be epic. (laughs) Uh, I just wanted to quick ask, uh, just like just in like the briefest of time, but did people like Adira? I liked her character myself. Yeah, we didn't get enough to like really form a strong opinion. So like I don't. I don't think anyone can be like, oh, yeah, I love that character. Or, no, nah, I hate that character just yet. I, but I, I first impressions. Yeah, first impressions are great, is what I'll say for Adira. I really I enjoyed it. Someone said something about Wesley Dax, and I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. I, I see it as a positive thing, not as a negative <laughs> yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, I like really that. Like, yeah. yeah. I liked Adira fine for what I saw. They, uh, they, they did not make a wrong step. Uh, so, and I yeah, apologize I for any future pronoun mess ups I do with. Well, they, the they, they, they refer to the character as she, her in this episode. So, right, she, her, she, she seems and, to. Uh, Adira goes by she, her, uh, oh. but the actress Blue goes. Right. Or, or oh, the okay. Goes by they, them. So, okay. Yeah. Right. Um, let's go ahead and work through these Gorn eggs. You know, we get yep. to, like that opening at the beginning when Burnham is, is doing courier stuff in like that marketplace, and it just Tron. This reminds it, me of Tron. <laughs> it seems like such thing. a good place to have like a Gorn egg. I can't believe they they didn't put something in there, but the, oh, they did. We got a forty-seven. Not only do we have a forty-seven, <laughs> we have a four-seven-seven-four. <laughs> we have a forty-seven Paladrome. Hardcore. Did that make up for the repair bots for you, Fathery? No, but I, just, I <laughs> don't like uh, that little piece of hardware. It had NCC four seven seven four, and we can't see the rest of the number; it's obscured. But whatever, whatever the piece of hardware that, that Burnham got at the beginning, it had forty seven seven four. Their hands in that image are also like a visual palindrome. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Just saying, it has no it meaning. Also I'm sure. be... It could also, if you're not wearing glasses, it could be Ray taking a lightsaber from someone. Well, enough about that other franchise. Uh, <laughs> I've got it on the mind. Sorry. Um, on board the Discovery, Burnham mentions the planet Terralisium, uh, and, and her mother being there. That was, of course, another Jonathan Frakes directed episode, New Eden, back in season two, the church planet, as we called it, uh, Terralisium. So there's 
church people, I guess, like a thousand years in the future, they're they're still around and they're they're answering uh, communications, but it takes like a month for them to like return messages, <laughs> apparently. Uh, they probably had to hire a courier to deliver the message. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we also did see like the, the repairs on the Discovery. I like that they took the time to like show it being repaired after crashing on a planet. And I hated and that they all shot to hell previous in the season finale. Yeah, yeah, it was all shot up in that battle. But I, I hated that they put the dot sevens that was on Pike's Enterprise onto onto this ship. So boo to that. Season four is going to have a dot seven as a main character. You just need to brace yourself for that. <laughs> uh, uh, Tilly, in her conversation with Burnham, mentions: uh, Does Earth still have the Gateway Arch or the the Giza Pyramid? Uh, Tilly is obsessed with uh st louis and the gateway arch because in season two in her quarters we see we see that she has like a snow globe uh, uh and little knickknacks that represent oh, uh, yeah. the, the gateway arch in st louis so maybe maybe she's from there she said she moved around a lot as a kid but maybe she lived in st louis at some point in time um that's nice good catch when when book has to become lieutenant booker he says, I, I to Burnham. And she says, uh, one eye, we're not pirates. That was so great. <laughs> yeah, that's the standard in Starfleet. We saw that in the Lower Decks episode of Next Generation where their uh, proto-Boimler character, uh, Sam Le- Lavelle, I think is his name. And he said, I, I, and, and Riker is just like, just one eye, Ensign. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the Starfleet uh, standard operating procedure is to say one eye. Um, when Savru is commanding on the bridge, he says the words... Starfleet does not fire first. This is a verbatim quote of his former captain, Philippa Giorgio. In the first episode of the show, she says to Burnham, Starfleet does not fire first. Mm. When Burnham comes up with her plan to uh, do the the switcheroo with the the dilithium and capture Wen the Raider, um, she asks Book if he remembers uh, what they did at Donatu 7. Uh, Donatu 7, we can probably assume, is in the same system as Donatu 5. Donatu 5 was the site where there is a battle between the Federation and the Klingons. Um, at, at some point around 2245, it was first mentioned in The Trouble with Tribbles, and it was also mentioned by Takuvma in the episode Battle of the Binary Stars. Uh, Book is drinking Synthahol in the mess hall, which makes absolutely no sense because we've been led to believe Synthahol did not exist in the, the time of discovery in the 23rd century established the next. Chance? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Sorry. Yeah. As established in the next generation, the episode relics when Scotty had no idea what the hell synthahol was and data had to explain it to him. That is a really good point. I hadn't caught that, but so yeah. Either, right? either Scotty is a dumb, dumb or about alcohol. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Discovery um, uh, got to the future and upgraded that one thing. Huh? <laughs> Discovery got to the future, and they that's the one thing they upgraded to. But then Book would know about it. Yes. <laughs> uh, Father, could there be like a headcanon uh, explanation that you have that could fix that? I'll think of one eventually. I'm too angry okay. about it right now. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, the, uh, the character Wen being from Titan, we've had uh, Titan has been brought up a lot in Star Trek. Uh, it's the moon of um, Saturn, right? Or Jupiter? Yes. It's Saturn. And that's Saturn. where they arrive when they spore drive is right yes. near Saturn. Um, yeah, and it's also like the location of where like a lot of Starfleet training has has taken place. Uh, Trip Tucker uh, had like an accident there. 
when he was doing some some training, and he uh, he he almost like got seriously hurt or killed when his EV suit wasn't functioning. Uh, Jellico and Jordy talked about how the Jovian run has like the Titan turn. It's like a hard maneuver to pull off, and Riker was such a good pilot because he could do it. The um, the uh, squadron that Wesley flew with in the first duty, they were doing their badass uh, uh, ace pilot maneuvers uh, at Titan. And so it, it gets it gets used a lot for training stuff, I think, because like the, the thicker atmosphere makes it harder to fly through. So it's like a, a good way to to train, to test yourself. But in the, in the future, apparently it becomes uh, the, the location of a liquid hydrocarbon research station. Uh, Adira being a human with a Trill symbiont that, as I mentioned, had had been done one time before in the next generation when Dr. Crusher installed a Trill into Commander Riker. And then banged them because Riker hooks up with every woman on the Enterprise. <laughs> Troy, Bro, Crusher, probably Guinan, probably Guinan. That's, um, like, uh, you know, they, they kind of hint at it that, that one time. So, you know, uh, good for you, Commander Riker. <laughs> and then the, the telescope that Saru hangs up in the ready room, that was originally Giorgio's telescope that was on the ready room of the Shenzhou that was then given to Michael Burnham after Prime Universe Giorgio's death. And Michael Burnham received it in the episode, The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry. And then to kind of ask for forgiveness from Saru for betraying his trust in the episode, uh, well, Choose Your Pain, she gives it to Saru because she had like manipulated him. She used him to to kind of confirm if the, the tardigrade was a threat or not. She brought him down to the, the tardigrade uh, chamber, the, the room they were imprisoning it in and to see if his gangula would come out. And he was like, uh, Oh, that was like a, you betrayed my trust. He got like really butthurt about it. So she gave him the telescope and now, now he has it in his ready room. So those are all the, those are all the Easter eggs, continuity connections and end jokes that I found within the episode. If I miss any, uh, let me know. I the Golden Gate Bridge. The, the, <laughs> uh, the Star Trek Four reference about the uh, holograms be, or two dimensional view screens being quaint is isn't that a Star Trek Four reference to oh, the uh, keyboard? The, how quaint the keyboard in the mouth? Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe. I mean, it's it, it's not just <laughs> oh that's old fashioned. It is literally how it, it was. Scotty said, "Oh, keyboard, how quaint." And oh, uh, view screen, how quaint. Uh, I, I say yes. Yeah, I, I think yes. that was an okay. Easter egg. So we'll count that one too. Uh, anything else? Be sure to like, comment, or tweet at me, or email, and let me know, and we'll give you credit for it next week. The Star Trek Discovery season or Star Trek Discovery episode four. Uh, of season three discussion that'll be Friday at seven thirty central. Um, so uh, that is an episode titled "Forget Me Not," and yep. that'll be uh, Friday at seven thirty. Until then, as always, though, live long and prosper, y'all. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com/text-trek. And follow Fathery on Twitter at TXTrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you and take care.